Hi, and welcome to Finding Your Way Through Therapy. I am your host, Steve Bissell. I'm an author and mental health counselor. Are you curious about therapy? Do you feel there is a lot of mystery about therapy? Do you wonder what your therapist is doing and why? The goal of this podcast is to make therapy and psychology accessible to all by using real language and straight-to-the-point discussions. This podcast wants to remind you to take care of your mental health, just like you would your physical health. Therapy should not be intimidating. It should be a great way to better health. I will demystify what happens in counseling, discuss topics related to mental health, and discussions you can have with your therapist. I also want to introduce psychology in everyday life, as I feel most of our lives are enmeshed in psychology. I want to introduce the subtle and not-so-subtle ways psychology plays a factor in our lives. It will be my own mix of thoughts as well as special guests. So join me on this discovery of therapy and psychology. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode eight. I'm sure that when you saw the title, some people are like, ah, I'm not going to listen to that one. But I got to tell you, sitting here with my wrestling shirt and someone who has been watching wrestling all my life, I was very excited about this episode because I wanted it to be a conversation in regards to the psychology of wrestling. I invited someone who's probably as crazy of a wrestling fan as I am in a good way. Her name is Lisa Dennis. Lisa works in strategy for a large U.S. bank, and we are united by our love of wrestling and psychology, frankly, because we've had a lot of conversations about that also. But I wanted to invite someone that understands that wrestling is much more than just my soap opera anyway since 1979, 1980. I can't really remember when I started watching. But I also wanted to make it accessible to everyone who may not think of wrestling in the same way. So I'm hoping this conversation goes really well. I hope you guys really enjoyed it. I know that I will enjoy it for sure. And listen to me and Lisa talk about wrestling. Hi, and welcome to episode eight of Finding Your Way Through Therapy. My name is Steve Biso. This is one of my favorite things to talk about. I've been a wrestling fan since age four, which brings it back to 1979. So that if you want to figure out when my birthday is, go ahead. But here's someone I, you know, I've worked with Lisa for a long time. And we're both what we consider marks for wrestling, which means like we buy into what goes on into professional wrestling. So Lisa is here to talk a little bit about how the psychology of wrestling involves a lot of different things that I think is everyday life for most of us. So thank you, Lisa, for accepting to be here. Yeah, super happy to be here. Super happy to be talking about wrestling, which is probably one of my favorite things in the world. Yeah. Well, maybe that's a good place to start. What attracted you to professional wrestling originally? So I guess this is going to be the podcast of us dating ourselves. So I remember very clearly in 1987 when Hulk Hogan body slammed Andre the Giant. I was in my aunt's house, which means one of my older cousins must have had like the pay-per-view back when it was pay-per-view and you actually had to pay and you know, click the click over to the channel. Don't forget closed circuit <laughs> TV at the big arenas. Right. But I remember watching that as a as a five-year-old child and being transfixed because of course, you know, there was a bit of the uh, the, the promotional work before that, right? The the package building of is Hulk gonna be able to body slam the giant? And 
good versus evil. I was evil. really, yeah, I was really hooked into this idea of would Hulk be able to kind of put down this um, unstoppable force, right? That's the first time I can remember being enthralled with the idea of, of wrestling. And then I think when I really became a consumer of the product, when I really, as an individual, right, as somebody who was bought in hook, line, and sinker and wanted to watch every week and wanted to, you know, get get a bunch of friends and everybody threw their 10 bucks in for the pay-per-view was the build to WrestleMania 12. And so at that time, I'm a teenager. I'm a high schooler. I am probably the person, you know, you want to talk psychology, right? I'm probably the person that Vince McMahon in the then WWF wanted to fall in love with the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels, right? Because he was the heartthrob, the bad boy, the, you know, not playing by the rules. And then, you know, and Vince McMahon is the owner of now WWE, was the owner then, and he was uh, promoting all these events and trying to sell these wrestlers, which means getting the rest, us to buy into these wrestlers. Absolutely. And... And so this is probably, uh, you know, speaking of dichotomies, right? This is probably funny from our both of our points of view. But he was in a huge feud with Brett the Hitman Hart, right? Who Canadian, right? Easy for me to jeer at. <laughs> Easy for me to, you know. I, this interview refer- is over. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Easy for me to want to root for the home team guy. But the build up to the Iron Man match at 12, which was a, you know, for those of you who are less familiar with wrestling, it's a 60 minute long match. It's, it's grueling, right? It's, it's not a standard format kind of pinfall one two three and the match is over it's a 60 minute storytelling saga with drama maybe even some lull but ultimately really a lot of drama a lot of back and forth of oof is there going to be a pin is someone's going to win the good guy going to take over the bad guy there's a lot of stuff that goes on there there's definitely this feeling of you know in a match like that where it's very very intense there's definitely a feeling of even the guy that you don't like the guy that you don't want to win when he's taken the other guy to the mat and he's, you know, technically sound or, you know, just impressive. There really is something about that where the tension builds, you're invested. And maybe one of the things that's very interesting about wrestling is even though you may have in your mind, the the guys that you want to win, sometimes you're so invested just in the quality of the match that it becomes more about the match right? That high quality experience where both guys can come out, you know, the guy, a guy can lose and still somehow come out psychologically with the crowd, the winner. And I think winner, I guess, as we would say in the, as you know, fans of the business are go over, right? A guy can go over. And what's interesting you're, about you're that talking is you about, can lose. Yeah. Yeah. You can lose and still be put over, right? Like you can lose and still you came out on top with the crowd. So it's, and the double turn from WrestleMania 13 with Stone Cold Steve Austin and Bret Hart is also one of my all-time favorite matches because that's when the good guy became the bad guy and the bad guy became the good guy in the same exact match, which is a double turn, as they call it in the, a little more of the marks like ourselves, people who watch a lot of wrestling. But yeah, I think that that's a lot of this stuff. And you know, obviously, I was invested in a different guy than you in that match. And 
what I like about the psychology of that is you can correct me if I'm wrong, but for me, it was like, hmm, Sean could beat him. Oof, I don't, I hope that doesn't. So it kept me watching because I was always, oh, he's taking over. It's going to be good. But I'm assuming a fan of Sean was thinking the same thing about Bret Hart. I think what's fascinating about Sean Michaels and Bret Hart is they're both technicians in their own way. Like Sean Michaels is very, very showy, right? Very flamboyant and flashy. Brett comes from this kind of long pedigreed lineage of wrestlers, wrestling family, wrestling dad who owned a territory promotion and trained in a place called the dungeon, right? And it at any given second during that match, it was completely believable. Whoever was going to take the belt was completely believable. Your level of investment during that match was so high. And I was such a fan of Sean. I think Brett was the perfect foil to him. You know, from talk about that from a psychology perspective, right? They were so diametrically opposed. They couldn't have been more different as people. And I think part of the real world tension that was so palpable between them in that rivalry was very interesting. A lot of times wrestling gets its flack for being fake or predetermined or you know, use whatever wording you want. But the off-screen tension was palpably there through the screen all the time. And that made the stakes of what happened in the ring with them so much more interesting, right? And can kept me so much more engaged. And so that's that's really like where my, you know, now 20 some odd year on love affair with wrestling really kind of crystallized for me was in that time period. You know, I remember in the, you know, maybe the early 80s, because you know, you don't remember much when you're four, but watching Abdullah the Butcher, who is the ultimate evil man come in to beat up my hero Dino Bravo or beat up my and this was when wrestling was smaller in small regions or what they call territories which still exist to a certain extent but way different than what it was then and Abdullah would come in with an object I mean I remember my aunt not wanting to watch the match because she was so upset you know for me it was always someone a give someone a fork in the eye (laughs) <laughs> and I was, it was stuff that, and you know, the, the funny part is that you sit there and you go like, I just want a good guy to win. Cause he's doing the right thing. And you know, in psychology, that's what we want, right? We always want, I'm doing the right thing. I should win. And you don't. And I think that that's one of those familiarities with psychology and wrestling to me is that I'm doing the right thing. God damn it. Why isn't it not going in my way? And I think that that's the stuff that's always gotten me because, you know, like you can do the right thing and still not win. And I relate to that in wrestling for a whole lot. We can talk about so many things that's happened like that. I think of Tommy Dreamer and Raven and the ECW and Tommy Dreamer was a good guy who did everything right, who did the right thing. And he never won. Well, I know he won with the last ever, but I don't count that. Even he would say he doesn't count it, but that's way too marky for a whole lot of people here. No, but, but you bring up a good point with Tommy Dreamer because Tommy Dreamer brought that up in, was it a biography that he shot with the WWE? But he said that straight out, that he was angry in real life because for what a decade on, he had done the right thing. He had done all the right matches and he had to wait for other talent to leave to get his time with the title. 
and you know the advent of the internet of course like changes a lot of that where you didn't have to go look at the dirt sheets the the like what's happening for real real right like you could find that on the internet but i think there's a lot of compelling characters where that psychology of what's actually happening in the locker room as it spills out into what we see and and what we consider to be predetermined is incredible and makes those characters really believable or endearing or uh, easy to root for or easy to easy to just hate Well, and and I think it's also something that you know the you can feel that in some families where you know the kid that does everything right but isn't visible, or at work you do everything right but because the other person has that degree or has this person that they know or what have you, and they get the promotion before you, and there's a lot of that that can be very relatable to wrestling, and part of it is what keeps me watching to this day and watching certain wrestling types you know like i i really like the i've always been the smaller guy version because i even though i'm bigger i'm not that tall so i'm always like that and a little you know how come he never wins how come you know we never gave a championship to whoever i can't think of anyone right now but that's the stuff and that's what keeps me watching to this day and seeing even like it's hard to call aew a startup but we'll call it a startup nonetheless but someone going after the giant that the WWE is, there's even drama within outside of the companies that really keeps me going and see like, how is Kenny Omega going to top that? Oh, Roman Reigns got my attention. He's with WWE Omega's with AEW, but that whole like one upsmanship, which was lost for several years since the like early two thousands, in my opinion, TNA does not count in my agreed. But, but but I'm I'm very much marking, and a lot of people are going to be bored to tears here. So maybe I should ask you why you keep on watching. Why are you still watching today in 2021? Why are we watching Kenny Omega become the cleaner again? But we don't call him that because it was from another organization. <laughs> yeah, let me. I guess let me step backwards and say you know part of what keeps me watching is the fact that. There's a lot of willingness today to push very hard on the envelope of what people are willing to accept, what they want to see, where they might be willing to go that pushes the boundaries of storytelling. And so if I think about things that keep, you know, just just when I think I'm out, they pull me back in, right? If I think about that, I think about things like uh, Matt Hardy and the final deletion. Right, which was this crazy story arc where he was completely in character all the time. His social media was in character, his, you know, when he was or kayfabe, right, as it were, but he was completely in character yeah. all the time, telling this insane story about this almost like schizophrenic character break where he became somebody completely different riffing on the fact he and his brother who worked together but riffing on the fact that his brother his Nero brother by the way kind of, yeah. yeah but he was living kind of an everyday life right for a while and that he was just kind of like his brother Jeff and was like I don't get it man just just trying to mow your lawn right like and here's his insane brother you know just try to put the screws to him all the time things like alternative alternative I mean, reality that a lot of people sometimes we meet are there 
<laughs> well, you want to talk about things that push the envelope and things that relate to psychology and things that keep pulling me back, like Bray Wyatt's Firefly Funhouse match with John Cena, which let me tell you, a lot of people misunderstood, in my humble opinion. A lot of people did not get this piece of art. I, I do think it's a piece of art where the match was actually John Cena stepping back through all the failures of his career and facing himself at every turn. And that included in some alternate realities that didn't get to play out because of how oppressed he was by the corporation he worked for. So I watch and I watch like a casual a lot of the time, right? I'll, I'll flip it on and I'll watch. I'll watch the match. I'll have my snack. I'm marginally invested. But then I do watch a lot of times for these big creative endeavors from these guys who are really pushing the boundaries of, I guess, what we're willing to take in and, and chew on, right? And, and what we're willing to be like, oh, okay, like this is not just one, two, three on the mat. This is something that really is, is asking me to pay attention and think critically about something for a moment. Right. So really looking at it in a different angle, which is a little bit of what we do in everyday life. We have to learn how. I think that when you talk about that Firefly Funhouse match from WrestleMania last year, I think you're right. A lot of people did not get it. And if you watch it again and again, I think with time, you kind of like, oh, wait a minute. Now I'm seeing the, th the trend. And I can't say that on the first try, I got some of it, but not all of it. And then again, I'm a mark for wrestling. I watch a lot of wrestling. So I watch it again. I'm like, oh, now this is brilliant. I didn't watch the stadium stampede match the same way. I still don't think that that was as brilliant, but it was certainly a good try. But, you know, it talks a little bit about the stuff. Like, again, I'm going to just say, remind people that we're not listening to a wrestling podcast. I promise this is finding your way through therapy. I'm your host, Steve Biso, and I'm sitting here with Lisa Dennis. We're talking about wrestling and how it relates to psychology. And one of the things that I, you kind of brought up in some ways is it's a persona. You know, like when you look at the one that's brought up regularly in WWE is when we had the ringmaster, which is Steve Austin, who was not at all who he was. And then he became Stone Cold Steve Austin. And that's more of who he is. So sometimes the persona melts into who you are. And we do that in business. We do that in life in general. Like we put out a persona, but who's real and who's not. We see that on social media. So what makes pro wrestling so enticing to the millions? Dramatic pause. And millions. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> watching worldwide. I mean, I, I think that that's the stuff that I, I wonder what you think about. So I think before I answer that, I want to just touch on the idea of like our personas. I was just talking to a, a coworker last week who is starting a new role with our company and giving them the gentle reminder, you know, that this is the time where whatever you didn't like, right, and how you used to do your job up till today, you get to throw it out essentially, right? You're going to be on a new team and a new new role people will think of you in a new light so like now's the time to shift right to pivot to shift and anything you want to change you know to change and what i think is brilliant about wrestling is watching the evolution of characters who do indeed do that who find that persona that gimmick that is going to resonate with us and them and i think we don't do enough of that 
I guess, in our day-to-day life, in my opinion, right? Of kind of retrofitting retrofitting ourselves, how we're coming across, fine-tuning. I think, and particularly, you know, when you get to a certain <laughs> distinguished age, <laughs> but it is this thing of you get stuck, right? You get stuck, like you, how you dress, how you speak, with the circles you keep, the way that you're just plugging away. And, you know, it, it is an interesting takeaway of watching these guys who are, you know, 10, 20, 30 years in career. And you know, maybe it's something we can take away this idea of if, if it's not working, get rid of it. Just get, just get rid of it. Like who right. legitimately, who is going to call you out on that? Who like, really think about most people were so absorbed inwardly with ourselves. Like how long would it take you to notice before an acquaintance of yours, like, you know, changed a good amount of how they were doing things? Like, would you notice? I don't know. Probably not. But I think it's also about how you buy into it. And what I mean by that is, obviously, I have more of a podcast voice on here. I mean, some people who know me as a human being in the regular world, such as yourself, I'm not necessarily talking this way in the regular world. Maybe there's more swears. Maybe there's... And you know, I'm also a therapist, and I have a lot more swears that come from that. But I also have like compassion side that comes out. And it's not a persona, but to a certain extent, it is based on my job. And whoever is my clients who are listening to this, I promise I mean it. But I just also know that that compassion may not show up elsewhere in different ways. I think that wrestling really teaches us how to adapt to a situation. So that way, you know, you think about, we can talk about groups a little later on, but sometimes you got to adapt to a bigger group because they're in charge and go, all right, I'm going to follow them because at least I have some protection and I have this and learning to be that persona so that you can get that protection. And maybe wrestling is a little more like Jungian than we give it credit for, right? Take the mask on, take the mask off, right? Depending <laughs> on uh, where you're at and who you're interacting with. That's, that's probably a whole other discussion, but it's wild to actually think about the fact that we, we probably should do more of you know, what you see in the ring and we, and we don't. And adapting to a situation people cheat, we always feel like, oh God, they cheated. And then they find another way to cheat and they find another way to cheat until they're put into a cage match. And somehow they find another way to cheat and we all get frustrated. And it, it's the buy-in of our young, like you said, a different mask, but sometimes we adapt to situations. And I think in, in psychology, what we do is like, okay, I'm pushed in a corner here. What am I going to do to get out of this corner? But the more you cheat, eventually catches up to you. What's uh, so fascinating about that is just how much projection goes into viewing, right? Like when you talk about like what keeps people watching, it's like the some of those story arcs are, are very long, right? We're waiting for the payoff. And in life, like this happens to us all the time. Like you, you can see that the arc that you're in is long, right? Like you can see it, whether it's work or family or you're working out and eating well, right? Like you see the arc is so long and there's challenges and there's, you know, just unexpected garbage getting thrown right at your hero and there's setbacks and there's your hero and your villain are about to face off and then they get sidetracked. This group wants a piece of that action. That group wants a piece. The boss says no, right? Like, 
it's there's so much projection, I think, and and there's so much of these very like central archetypes that we kind of all have inside that are really played out in a very theatrical way. And so to be fair, it's not always just the good guy, right? Like sometimes we're living vicariously, or maybe this is just me and I'm willing to say this completely about myself, you know, that it's rotten, but sometimes I'm just living vicariously through the bad guy because I do want to kick the crap out of the guy that seems like the golden child. So that too. Right. And I mean, you know, and sometimes the golden child becomes the suck up and that gets to your nerves. Now you want to kick the golden child's butt because he's been too nice or what have you. And I mean, we, we, there's so many, you know, you talk about the long arch. It's interesting in American wrestling, American professional wrestling, it's getting there. It's getting back there. I remember that from years ago. They went away in the, I think about Japanese wrestling, I think about professional wrestling again, and the UK wrestling, they've gone for the long arc for years. And you got to buy into like three years of a storyline before you get the payoff. And here it's like, you get the payoff in three months. And in life, I think that sometimes we do get the payoffs in three months, but sometimes it takes three years. And learning to be able to be patient and you're like, how come they gave him the championship? Oh yeah, because they need to sidetrack him. He's got to come in. And like, there's always going to be a little backstory that comes in, but they're going to always follow each other until there's the big payoff. And that's kind of what we see in everyday life. We have, I, I'm sure that we all have a person in our lives that is like that. I mean, I've had friends from Canada for 20 something years, and sometimes I don't hear from them for a while. And then suddenly they just show up and we talk every day for a month and then poof, they disappear again. And or I disappear. I'm not going to put it all on them. And it's just the the interesting stuff of life that I think that wrestling really represents because what's right versus what's wrong. And I think that we like to think that it's black or white. In all reality, it is not a cognitive behavioral therapy, all or nothing. Sometimes good means you got to do something wrong. I do like when we're looking at in a in a wrestling storyline when we're looking. The babyface, the hero, right, being forced into that corner, right. I do like watching the idea of will they break the rules, right? And will they break the rules? And, you know, we talked about this this idea, this idea of a turn, right? Like, will they break the rules one time to get out of a sticky situation, or have they been the good guy? For so long, and I, I'm sure you've got folks listening who have been in this place, right? Where you've been the good guy for a long, long time. And you finally crossed that line, that thin red line, whatever line in the sand you had, and that's it. Now you're going to break all the rules, like, or at least the majority of the rules. Because once you broke the rules of like the sky didn't fall, well, now you can go for broke, right? And I, I love this idea of watching a baby face, the hero, watching the face in this dilemma and waiting to see, like, oh, will they get out of it via some type of cunning, some, something clever, right? Where they can, they can still be heroic and still be kind of the, that lawful good, right? Will they break kind of a, you know, a rule that's like, it's not crazy consequential. Nobody really got hurt. And then they can kind of pull back on that behavior. Or will they just cross that line and realize how good it feels to break the rules and then go for broke? You know, and I think 
some of that is super interesting storytelling to me and hits home, right? With the idea of like, yeah, sometimes I don't want to play by any of the rules. So, you know, let me live vicariously through the guy as he breaks the rules and then joyfully realizes like the sky's not going to fall. Let's break more rules. And when they do break the rules, what my favorite parts is when they say, especially when they turn against the fans, it's your fault that I did that and not taking responsibility for your actions. I mean, I still, one of my favorite things that happened and it's a long story, but when Owen Hart was still the only Hart family member in 98 and everyone wanted to love him. And then he turned on everyone and he said, you turned your backs on me and you're, why are you blaming other people? Yeah. I can't take responsibility for your own actions. And Hey, who hasn't been there once or twice in their lives? Nothing like just, like malignant narcissism playing out in the ring, right? Of like a whole bunch of uh, just emotionally abused fans being like, I just want to adore you. And it's like, no, it's all your fault. You guys are losers, you know? (laughs) And yet wrestling is so much theater in the round in that way, right? Like wrestling, the crowd is so much its own living, breathing persona and if you have listeners who've ever been to live wrestling, it's undeniable how much you're part of not just a community, but you are absolutely part of that night's programming. And it's unreal, this idea of the crowd being like, we just want to love you. And when somebody's really good at playing that, just that terrible narcissist, they say like, you guys are trash the, the way the crowd's like, we are, we're totally trash. We love you anyway, right? And that type of dynamic is wild when it happens. And I certainly think about recently being in, uh, seeing Sami Zayn in wrestling matches around here. This is, may not be in the last year, but maybe in the last three years. And I went to Sami Zayn around here and, people booing him and all that. And I'm a Montrealer, so I went to Raw in Montreal. And if you ever get a chance to look at that, in Montreal, he he, may, he puts the whole city, the town down, and still at the end, you can still hear most people are still cheering him on. And two months later, he's being booed to hell in America, and the Canadians are still going, yay. And there's always that dichotomy of, well, he's one of us. We still have to support him. And I think we've had that in our lives in general. Well, he's family. It doesn't matter. We need to support him. And and not necessarily, but the first thing that comes to mind is when there's addictions involved or things like that, where we're like, no, family, it's family first. And we're like, at one point, that family members are on my freaking wall. And I think we can relate to that because like, okay, I'm defending him, but I'm losing interest in defending them. (laughs) Yeah, but I think that goes back to the idea of of us projecting into these larger than life characters, right? That we, you know, if you want to know what keeps the, the millions upon millions watching it's this idea of at any given time you're gonna see yourself or someone you know in these huge larger than life characters and sometimes they're fighting your fight and sometimes they're doing things that you wish you could do and you get a little bit of like "Ah, just live vicariously through that for just a little bit that's that's very satisfying and sometimes you know, especially in storylines that have a little bit of real life in there, or there's a little bit of emotional charge in there, you're watching, kind of holding your breath, wondering how much is real and how much is predetermined outcome or, or a work, right? How much of it's real? 
how much of it's predetermined. And sometimes the line is really blurry. And sometimes you're just very emotionally invested in watching that tension play out. You know, maybe that's a good, good jumping point again. Listening to Finding Your Way Through Therapy podcast, Steve Bison with Lisa Dennis, still talking about wrestling psychology, how it relates. And one of the things you brought up earlier is the psychology of different storylines. And I think that they might be a good jumping point to talk about a couple of things that me and you have talked about before. And the first thing that really comes to mind is I think we both agree about the Stone Cold Steve Austin storyline. So maybe it would be helpful knowing that Stone Cold Steve Austin is a wrestler who went against the boss, basically. And that's kind of where it goes. And I, I, I'll, I'll leave the floor for you. I think this storyline is wild. The way I perceived it as a teenager and the way I perceive it as an adult are two very, very different things, right? They are worlds apart. So Steve Austin, in real life, has his neck essentially broken by Owen Hart, who you mentioned earlier. It's a devastating injury, right? And and just for and, those who don't know the storyline, this was not done purposely. It was a mistake. Just oh, absolutely. Want to make sure. But it was yeah, really absolutely. broken. Just but really again, I, we always got to keep in mind they don't know maybe what we're talking about. And... Fair. <laughs> Fair. So this is a real injury that occurs. Not that Owen Hart was was out to injure Steve Austin. It was an accident that happened. So regardless. They need to write Steve out for a little bit, right? So he can heal from this neck injury. And so they, they do that. They play an angle where, you know, he's, he's not medically cleared and he flips on the boss because he's not medically cleared. And what I think is interesting is when I was a child, I saw this and I was right in Steve Austin's corner, right? Like, oh my God, like, how can they not let him, like, he's got the rocket on him. He's like going to the top, right? Like, how dare they not medically clear him? Of course, I don't know at the time that the, that his neck's actually broken, right? Like part of me is like, ah, it's not really a serious injury, right? And I'm rooting for Steve and I'm angry at, you know, the boss, Vince McMahon. And I want to hate Vince, which we'll get to, but this, that's where we culminate this storyline, right? Is with everybody really having this huge amount of enmity for Vince. As an adult, Vince begins this storyline as this concerned employer who is like, I want to keep you safe. I want to keep the company safe. This is about your health. It's about our risk. Like, and he's, and he's pretty, you know, at least for the first few months of this feud, he's pretty congenial, right? Like it's very congenial. And Steve is really the aggressor, right? Like, you know, F you, you can't keep me out of here. The cops are coming to take him away. And it's a fascinating feud from this perspective. If you watch it with this perspective of Vince being the good guy boss, being antagonized nightly by just a terrible employee, it then becomes Vince being harassed into madness, right? Like his, and he starts to escalate because there's no other option. As a child, it was delightful to watch Steve Austin rail against the man, 
And so, I, you know, I was very countercultured as a teenager. So I too wanted to rail against the man. Maybe now it's because I've sold out and I, and I live in corporate America, but I'm like, that was your good guy boss and you drove him insane. And then you beat him in a hospital with a bedpan, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> what, what very is Very iconic craziness? moment though. Oh yeah. But it, you know, it's, it's fascinating. I think to me to see how I view it 20 years apart through a rewatch of my perspective then, which was like, screw the man, stick it to Vince and how I watch it now as an adult going, he drove his boss absolutely insane until the man had no choice, but to lose his mind and become the Mr. McMahon persona that, you know, we know and love is just this evil heel. Right. So that's my thoughts on stone cold. You know, I don't know about yours. My thoughts are a little different is that I think that for me, I look at the human nature of it is that when someone tries to keep you down against your will, I'm a hundred percent convinced that Vince had the best intention, but Hey, who hasn't been there where someone says, Hey, you've had a significant loss or you're sick or whatever. Just stay home. Yeah. Screw you. I'm staying. And, and they have the best intentions in the world, but you're like, no, I'm stronger than that. And I see that side of the fight where I see both sides of being very, and maybe when I, my 20 year old self did not see that, but my 45 year old man go like, yeah, stay home. It's a good idea. And, and but I also think that from my perspective, it's that over the top stuff that I will always, always love about wrestling. And I practice that in my therapy sometimes. Sometimes I'll go over the top about a subject and people are like, wow, that's crazy. Well, that's what you started. I just finishing off what you did. And I think that over the top thing kind of sometimes makes a point because when we go over the top on issues that we may have or substances or whatever, it kind of like, oh crap, I got to bring myself down. And that's eventually what happens. And uh, as the storyline goes, Stone Cold goes to Vince's side. But, you know, for me, that the, the arc of who you are and like realizing the error of your ways sometimes, but also saying, I made this error for like three months. I got to keep at it because, God damn it, I'm invested in this error. And all that stuff makes me really think about humans and how we like, you know, it's one of those things. If I ever say, "Oh, I'm sorry, I missed your call, Lisa. I was dining with the Pope." Well, now I got to believe that lie for the next six months. Really, the Pope? Oh, yeah, yeah. He has a great ring. Oh, what color ring? And like, you now suddenly the story goes on. You're like, "Holy crap! I'm way too invested in this lie." And learning to be okay with over the top stuff, but also knowing it'll catch up to you. And I think that that's the stuff that I remember from that storyline. Just like. You know, I think about The Rock being that way. I think about Hogan and how being so nice and people-pleasing screwed him over. And learning that in life, if we try to people-please too long, we then become the bad guy that spray-paints NWO, New World Order, on the world championship and tells the fans to, I can't remember his exact words at Bash of the Beach, but to go screw up to a certain extent. And I think that for me, it's that over-the-top, like, being invested too much in one thing may be detrimental to you. And that happens a lot with people. That's an interesting storyline, the NWO storyline, right? So the new world order storyline is essentially the inmates running the asylum, right? It's the, it's the bad guys running the franchise. And for me, I am NWO for life, right? I loved this entire 
and what is interesting because this eventually happens, the same thing happens with the New World Order that you mentioned with Hogan, right? So Hogan is a good guy, a good guy to a fault, a good guy for forever, a people pleaser to the nth degree, and people are, prayers, you know, eat your vitamins. That's right, right? The, <laughs> the demandments. Yes. But he, he eventually sours, right? Because the fans, you know, how much people pleasing and how much Boy Scout can you take? For Everybody knows somebody like that, right? Where you're like, could you just nothing? You don't swear, you don't spit, you don't smoke, nothing? Like, I, I don't know if I can hang with that, right? But the NWO is also a fascinating storyline in that the bad guys take over. They form a faction or a group or a stable, whatever word you want to give it, right? And it becomes colossal. It becomes a monument in and of itself. In fact, cliches are cliches for a reason, right? But they become kind of this corporate overstructure in a way. They become the very thing that they're railing against, where there's a hierarchy and a dude at the top, you know, aka Hogan, who's making the rules and the guys underneath are like, this is like no different than the thing that we just left to fight against the thing for. And eventually it too collapses under its own weight. It collapses under its own, you know, it almost becomes a parody of itself to a certain extent by the end. And you think about what happens in the long term. I mean, I may be NWO for life, but I really am Wolf Pack for life, personally. Um, right, you can't see, but you know, Google yeah, it. Yeah, you, you can look it up. The hand signal. Google it. That's but right. yeah, I'm NWO for life, but more Wolf Pack for life. But you look at wasn't there the Latin World Order at some point, and with Eddie Guerrero among others. That's right. And you see what happens when you get too big. Too big, then people faction. And then, you know, to for those people who don't know the storyline, it started off with three wrestlers, Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, and Hulk Hogan. And then eventually, I, I mean, I remember there was like 20 people that couldn't fit all in the ring. There were That's two right. people standing outside. I mean, Scott Norton and people I've like, really? They're an NWO guy? Anyway. Yeah, the, the guy nobody knows about. The right. guy who they fished out of the locker room 10 minutes, a janitor. <laughs> a janitor and speedos like and, you're and in the if, ring yeah and if scott norton's <laughs> listening i know you're bigger than me so you win but at, at the end of the day it becomes so big that it loses its meaning and you've seen that play out a couple of times think about tna's aces and eights with what was his name i i i, I, I always want to call him bully ray but i can't remember if that was his whatever wrestling organization name was but over that, in tna i think it, it was bully ray right yeah, yeah. He's Bubba Ray, I think, in the WWE. Correct. Uh, but he, they did the same thing. They became so big that they collapsed upon themselves. And I think that what that's a good storyline to have in life. But at one point, I mean, I remember also with that storyline, how even to a certain extent by week 17 of them just dominating everything, because, you know, like, oh, okay, they're going to go for the championship. Guess who's going to intervene at the end? And I would be like, no, I'm turning that off until Sting showed up. So I think this brings up this thought about what are we hungry for? It's not monotony, right? Like it's not, it's not monotony. If you think for one second that what we're hungry for is like the stable flat line, 
I know what to expect today. Life, if you watch a straight, to your point, watch three months straight of wrestling and think about what you actually want to see happen in the ring, right? What you want to see is a bit of justice, sometimes a bit of cowboy justice, right? Sometimes yeah. a little bit of the bad guy putting the good guy in his, in his place if he's a little too smarmy or vice versa, right? But you, you want to see you know, some standard deviation here in the line, right? And we don't always want to get taken for the big ride, though that's cool, right? Like sometimes we want that big spike emotional line with the big payoff. And, and that's true in life, right? Sometimes you want the big fireworks thing to happen. But most of the time, we're happy with kind of switching in and out of some of these dramas as long as uh, they don't rock the boat too hard from the things that feel core to us. Like, let it play out. Drama's, drama's cool, I think, for most of us as, as humans. We want to see and experience it as long as, uh, you know, the apple cart doesn't get too upturned. Well, you know, there's the change in drama that we enjoy in wrestling, just we like we enjoy in life when things change. And then there's the Vince Russo era of the WCW that we don't really want to talk about here, as you probably understand. But the other one that I was thinking about when you were talking about, you know, the guy who goes against authority, there's a one that is more recent. And this is when we had less choices in wrestling because they bought out everything was the CM Punk saga, which really was an interesting, like, is this a work? Is this really happening? Is he leaving the championship, leaving with the championship and not coming back? Which what was that? Seven years ago, eight years ago, roughly, I would argue. I can't remember exactly. A little more than that, because I was che- I was checked out for a time during CM Punk was such a strange phenomena to me because I was away from the product for a while during that. And it's funny because I, you know, obviously I have a lot of friends who are who are wrestling monks, and they were all abuzz with him with this idea of. So I'm, I'll drop some more jargon, right? But this idea of a shoot, right? A shoot meaning like it's the utter truth. It's not scripted. Nobody knows what you're going to say. The CM boss didn't say to say that. CM Punk's shoot is the most famous shoot it was so big and explosive it was called a pipe bomb right so like it's it's this massive amount of like yeah nobody knows what i'm about to say on this hot mic right and it was almost we were you and i watched and watched earlier in a time where promotional work right or talking to the fans talking to and about other wrestlers or about the company Back in the in the nineties, this was this was highly scripted. There was an idea of what you could and couldn't say, and guys generally, you know, kept to the point. Now it's highly scripted, right? right. So a guy goes off script at all. It's you know, and there's a few guys, particularly in in AEW, which is kind of the more junior product out there, who are you know have a little more creative license. Uh, Chris but Jericho the- is is a genius and is uh, but he doesn't need to be scripted, and I think that that's what makes him a genius. Agreed. I think that what what was fascinating at the time about CM Punk was at a time when the business was shifting towards these highly scripted promotional packages, that there was a counterculture, got this straight edge, tattooed up, small guy. I mean, he's a small, a small in stature, right? Who's kind of everything that was 
not the wrestler of years past. And on top of that, had a mouth on him. Like he really was, I think he was, uh, a la, I don't know if you're, if you got comic book fans in the audience, but I'll like the Punisher, right? Like this great kind of anti-hero of like, oh, yeah, okay. Like blur, blur that line for everybody, right. I guess. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's why I was going to bring him up because I, I, you know, I've always found it fascinating to see a guy do that shoot, which to a certain extent was half shoot, half work. Cause I think he knew he was coming back. And they gave him enough license, but they didn't give him enough license so that his mic would work on all times. There's so many things you go back to the regional territories where people would go into business for themselves. And if people want to ever watch something that's an interesting, a guy who you didn't know if he was real or not and blurred the lines to a point where it probably caused his death was Bruiser Brody. I was a big fan of Bruiser Brody, but I remember him coming to Montreal and going, I knew Abdul is a work. I didn't know him. Like Bruiser, like Bruiser Brody was a really convincing crazy man to the point where I've watched so many documentaries on him. I still don't quite know what was going on. You know, like his family, I'll talk about the fact that he was soft as a teddy bear all day long, but some of the relationships that he made with other guys in the ring and some of the enmity and the hostility that existed wild. Bruiser Brody's a wild story. Yeah, absolutely. And as we wrap up here, one of the things that I would love for people to do is to buy into wrestling. You know, I'm I'm really invested in the whole storyline with uh, Kenny Omega right now in AEW. I'm very invested. I'm like, what's next? I'm also, and most people is not popular, but I love Roman Reigns' storyline. I think that that's absolutely the most brilliant thing WWE has done in years. Is, Agreed. I think that's one of the best stories they could have taken for Roman Reigns was to turn him heel. Finally. Thank God. So as we finish, what do you suggest people do in, in regards to getting into wrestling and watching the product? And I think the new Japan has great storylines going on right now. I don't know how much Roku is available to people, but you know, that's another great storyline. Yeah. New Japan's also available on, uh, Bleacher Report and Fight, not to plug them, but that's, you can find them if, if you need to. Uh, I, you know, I would say this. I would say th- there are levels to watching wrestling, and there is product out there for everybody, right? So there is absolutely watching casually, right? Tuning in, checking the thing out, expecting to be entertained, being marginally to wildly entertained, depending on what week you're watching. And there's definitely a level of watching with a sense of community so if you get super into wrestling you will find other wrestling fans and you will find that we love obviously to talk about the product and there's a real sense of community and and belonging and most wrestling fans do want to get into the psychology of what's happening because we're trying to stay at least the smart marks are trying to stay ahead of the writers, right? We're trying constantly to figure out, are they going to give this to us? Not give this to us. Let us think we're going to have it and pull it away. Or will we actually get it Drew McIntyre's WrestleMania moment? A, a really good, you know, example of that. There's also product out there for whatever you like to watch. So you mentioned a few times, new Japan. I love new Japan, but it's very fast hard-hitting, highly technical. It's got a different look and feel 
than something like the WWE, which is super slick, polished, huge amount of money behind it, or AEW, which is put on by you know, Tony Khan, who is a lifelong wrestling fan. It's it's wrestling for wrestling fans, right? Wrestling for wrestlers too. So yes. my advice to you would be, don't take it seriously. <laughs> don't take yourself so seriously. You know, it's definitely, I always call it my guilty pleasure. And I am, even in the corporate world, folks know that I'm a wrestling fan. And you'd be surprised how many TED Talks you would find from wrestlers on things that bridge to the corporate environment. You'd be surprised at how often Steve and I talk the psychology of wrestling and how it translates there. It's translating to friends of mine who write for TV and movies out in LA. There's something there for you. Just kind of figure out what you like and go for it. I'll share with you that I see it as my soap opera for the last 40 plus years that's still not finished. And just like the WWE is known not to finish their storyline, sometimes they'll never finish. And I really tell people that if you want to watch a good show just for fun, and sometimes not like what I like about maybe more AEW versus WWE, although WWE has done better recently, is the best thing of my job and the best thing in my life is I don't know what the next words out of your mouth are going to be. And the worst thing about my life and my job is that I don't know what the next words out of your mouth are going to be. And having that uncertainty and having that drama that we have all in our lives, but this is being played out by people who are characters. And it just gives you that detachment that you can go like, oh, and maybe learn a thing or two about your own life. As you said, they do TED Talks and among other things. And I know a lot of them are do motivational stuff. And certainly with the new found respect for women's wrestling, I see a lot of value in seeing women, seeing women that are empowered and not just in bikinis as the product was to be, you know, late nineties, early two thousands. So there's a lot of stuff there in my opinion, but Lisa, I got to tell you, thank you. This, I me and you could probably talk about this for two hours. I don't know if I have an audience of a two hour wrestling discussion, but I think we touched on everyone that I absolutely love. I forgot to plug Ricky Martel, which was one of my favorite wrestlers when I was a kid. You just got to let your audience, if they want more wrestling content, we'll take that over to a Patreon. That's all. <laughs> we'll figure out something for sure. And my favorite show that I on Sirius XM that I listen almost daily is Busted Open, which has a lot of great info and the intake. And they talk about the psychology. Mark Henry is a very brilliant guy. Bully Ray says what he thinks, but he knows the psychology of it. So not plugging. Although if you're willing to pay for a commercial, I'm here. Otherwise, no, I'm not plugging anything. And this hope that you guys enjoyed the show as much as I've enjoyed. And I can tell that Lisa enjoyed it too. Yeah, Lisa, this is great. Thank you very much. And um, at one point, I'm sure we're going to talk about wrestling again. So you'll be invited for sure. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. Well, I hope that you enjoyed episode eight. That was probably one of the most pleasurable conversations I've ever had in regards to wrestling and psychology and purposefully talking about it. I think we name dropped about 24 different wrestlers. So if you want to look them up, you can go ahead. There's much more about wrestling than that. 
We talked about different organizations and how they work and the psychology that comes from it. You know, one of the things that I remember talking with Lisa is how the dichotomies play a really big factor in how we can see ourselves sometimes in these, I don't know, these conflicts, I guess. That's what I would say. The difficulties of choosing what's next and what we need to do or feeling like we are justified in our crap behavior. And I think that we all go through that individually in our own private lives. And I think that I wanted to make sure that we included that as well as just a little bit of the history of wrestling, especially about the years we've been watching. I'm not as versed in 1940s wrestling, I guess. But anyway, I hope you saw the link between wrestling and psychology. Thank you again, Lisa. That was really fun. And I hope everyone enjoys it as much as we do. And I will see you soon.